just lean in into that uncomfortable situation. It's like, oh, I am the cause of your pain. I'm the cause of your discomfort and listening to change. Welcome back to Going Deep with Aaron Watson. We've got a distinct episode today. We are interviewing the chief product officer for Duolingo, Jorge Mazal, about both his career path and the way he manages a team whose app is used by tens of millions of people around the globe to learn languages. I shudder to think of the enormity of people that his app reaches and the thoughtful design elements that he needs to consider as he grows something that is such enormous commercial value. Last year, we saw in their uh, recent round of funding, Duolingo was worth more than $1 billion. And they've recently posted a job listing for a finance associate in New York that makes me suspicious that they are imminently planning some form of a public offering in the future. Jorge was obviously not able to comment on that. That's just a little speculation on my end, but very cool to hear his perspective on things, how they've grown. And I know that you're going to take a lot away from it. Here is my conversation with Jorge Mazal. You're listening to Going Deep with Aaron Watson. All right. Thanks for coming on the podcast, man. I'm really excited to be talking with you. Thank you, Aaron. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here with you. So I want to start off. I have to imagine that almost everyone that might be listening to this is aware of what Duolingo is, uh, but maybe we can just start off. You know, this is an app that with over fifth, I'm sorry, 500 million downloads, 40 million monthly active users um, that has taught just loads of people how to speak all sorts of different languages. Um, can you talk a little bit more just about what the app's mission is oriented around and the role that you play as chief product officer? Sure. Yeah. Uh, so the what the app does is it teaches languages and you can basically pick up Duolingo and just even if you just use Duolingo to learn a language, you can replace up to four, maybe even five, five semesters worth of college credit worth of uh, language education. Uh, which we're super proud of. And the, the reason why we do that, why we teach languages, is, is there are actually several reasons. We're a very mission-driven company. So we care a lot about the impact that language learning has on the world. Uh, and the truth is that the impact is different depending on who you are. Uh, so for a lot of people, learning English is very transformational. So they can access better jobs, better educational opportunities, uh, and that's kind of my lived experience has been that. And also Luis, the CEO, has a similar life experience as well. Uh, and then also for a lot of people who maybe already know English, learning another language helps them connect with the world better. Uh, we have lots of users who uh, are learning a language because that's the language their in-laws speak. Or maybe that's uh, they want to learn Japanese so they can read manga uh, in in Japanese or learn Korean to listen to K-pop or something. So there's, there's many reasons why people learn the language and we're excited to support all of those reasons. Yeah. I mean, th those are exactly the two things I was just thinking about before we hopped on was number one, economic opportunity. We actually at, at Piper just hired our first international team member who just blew me away with his proficiency in English, despite that not being his native tongue. 
And that is, you know, part of part of how, how things get done. You need to be able to communicate, but at the same sense, you know, you travel different places. And obviously that's, that's usually if it's a tourism related type of company, that's part of the, the job is to be able to bring people in and have that multilingual skill set. But it's also a way to connect, you know, th- there's a difference in walking through Tokyo and reading the signs in Japanese versus having someone translated to you, you're, you're getting that kind of layer of, of distance before you can really connect with the place. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's impossible to have an authentic experience when you travel unless you know some of the language at least. 100%. So I'm super curious to learn more about the role of chief product officer. And later on, we'll talk kind of about how you've built up your skills and experiences to land in such a cool position. But um, I guess maybe as a starting point, I think that, you know, other other roles, I think it's very legible how one is evaluated as an executive. So if you're a chief revenue officer, you need revenue to go up, right? If, if you've got maybe like a, a head of HR, it's, are we hiring adequately? Do we have the kind of diverse team that we're pursuing? With product, there, there seems like so many different kind of lanes and avenues that it can go down, particularly for something like we said, over 500 million, half a billion downloads of the app, all these different languages being taught. You could be, and I'm not saying this is the case, but just as an example, you could be killing it at, at teaching people Turkish and maybe it's not as uh, effective at teaching people French or whatever the thing may be. So how are you as a chief product officer evaluated? And then maybe we can connect that to how you actually spend your day in order to accomplish those goals. Yeah, I mean, the, the role of chief product officer, I think it's not standardized. I think it means different things in different companies. And at, at Duolingo, what that means is I, I lead three functions, which are product management, data science, uh, which is kind of like early advanced, sophisticated product analytics uh, that we do here, and also UX research. So understanding our, our users and kind of what makes them tech and uh, and all of these functions together are focused on uh, really driving product market fit and constantly improving that fit. And also, we, we know what's unique about Duolingo, we have founders that are very technical, very product minded. So, you know, they're very involved in product, especially Luis, the CEO. And it's a very collaborative kind of way to make decisions uh, with, with him, with our chief designer, with our SVP of engineering, Natalie. Uh, so basically all of us together and uh, our teams come up with a roadmap, right? And, and, and execute on that. In terms of how, how am I evaluated in terms of performance? I, I, I swear it's different each time I get evaluated. <laughs> um, just depends on what matters uh, at the time, right? So, but there's, there's basically everything matters and whatever is not working well, that's the thing I need to be focusing you know, next. Um, so it's a matter of uh, how well the business metrics are doing. And we care about, you know, user growth, we care about um, revenue growth, and we care about teaching better. So we're always doing those three, three things. And at this point, we're lucky that all those things are going really well, and we're just getting just better and better at those things. Um, and then there's also all of the people side. Are we hiring the right people? Uh, are they happy? Are they growing? And are they working well with others and creating the culture that we want? So as, as my job has evolved, when I, when I joined Duolingo, I came as director of product. It was a very small team. And that team has grown almost 10x what it used to be. 
And so now a lot of my focus is on culture uh, and how to make sure that people are have the guidelines, have the principles, have the tools, um, the support system, so they can be increasingly more and more autonomous and, and more effective on uh, as teams. Yeah, I think we in the pre-interview we talked when you joined it was like ninety people and now it's over five hundred people on the team for the whole company. Yes, yeah. yeah, crazy. So I was trying to guess like some of those some of those metrics. We referenced the monthly active users, and and I guess the reason it's such a kind of moving target and those those metrics change is you know something that maybe conventionally people understand for a, a a TikTok or a Facebook or some of these other super apps that that are at the top of the charts because they are advertising based more time on the app going from 30 to 40 minutes on average time someone spends on the app is really impactful because that increases the ad load that they can be shown but at the same time if you're also evaluating like the efficacy of people continuing to come back you know if if it becomes this thing that eats up more and more of their day maybe their kind of consistent habit of actually going and you know, making a daily practice of learning the new language is, is at odds with that. So that's a kind of a really interesting tension to kind of be playing with as a, as a product lead. Yeah, there's always a lot of different tensions and uh, between the metrics that we care about, right? You could do something that helps with revenue, but hurts retention. You could do something that helps, I mean, retention, but hurts the number of minutes per day they spend on the app. Uh, and then there's learning and going to the mix as well. Uh, so the way we balance that is we have teams that are, some teams that are kind of metrics driven and they have like a goal to optimize revenue, for example. And that's the target metric revenue. And then we have guardrail metrics, which tend to be the target metrics of other teams. So if you uh, run an experiment, because everything we do gets A-B tested, we run an experiment that helps your target metric, you got to make sure that it doesn't hurt any of the guardrail metrics. Uh, so they have to be developed an intuition. Teams have to develop an intuition of how other teams' metrics move so they know not to mess up with them, uh, not to bring them down. So we basically create a system where everyone's incentivized to move everything up and not at the expense of something else. Gotcha. That makes a ton of sense because, yeah, you're juggling all those metrics. But if we're talking it down to like the team level or the individual level, you can't have everyone looking at all things. They need that that element of focus. So tell me a little bit about, you know, you, you joined the company a few years ago. It's, it's been growing like a weed and there's a lot of excitement in Pittsburgh in particular about, you know, a potential future IPO and the, what that means just for the, the Pittsburgh tech scene. But can you paint a little bit of a picture of where the product was when you got here, the changes that have been made that kind of take us to the present? And then maybe we can talk a little bit about where it's going in the future. Sure. Yeah. I mean, the product has made tremendous strides um, since I joined. I don't want to take credit just because I joined. It's like correlation. I'm not sure if it's possible. <laughs> <laughs> but it has been a, a tremendous amount of progress on the product side uh, because, it's, I mean, it's, and it's very collaborative. Everyone's involved in this. But, you know, we, we were struggling in, in many fronts, honestly. Like, we were trying to figure out the way to monetize. We weren't exactly sure how to do that. DAU growth was a little bit like stagnating um, and and we were kind of stuck on how to teach better. Honestly, we were like, like trying to figure out all these problems and everyone did tremendous amount of effort to turn all these things around little by little. Uh, so first on the, on the monetization side, we landed on this subscription business that has been 
very successful and been able to continue to grow um, on a consistent basis. On the, on the growth side, we came up with, I won't get into details too much, but we have a fairly sophisticated growth model uh, that has a bunch of different metrics that we identified. We ran modeling on it and identified uh, a metric that turns out to be super high leverage, uh, which is called CUR, current use and retention rate. Um, and we put a team just optimized on that, um, to, to focus on that, to optimize that metric. And that has resulted in people just staying with the product a lot longer. So when they come into the product, they get hooked on having like a Duolingo streak. And those, the number of people with a streak of seven days or longer uh, used to be about 20% of our DAUs, and now it's about 60%. Uh, so wow. people are just, just a lot more engaged with the product, staying longer, telling their friends more about it. Uh, and that has really supercharged our user growth. And what's cool about it is that it's growing faster than ever. It's growing super fast, but it's growing with better users, better, more engaged users, right? Which is really a really healthy way to grow. So that was a lot of research by a lot of people and just a lot of creativity and, and, and problem solving. Uh, and then on the learning side, I, I think probably about half of our product teams in the company work on learning. And that is really challenging because it's hard to measure learning. So we have to use a lot of just learning science research, intuition of using the product ourselves and coming up with kind of proxy metrics for what we believe represents learning. Uh, and combining all of that together, and also be, being very systematic about how we think about languages and what, what is a language and how do you break up a language into its components and, and different levels of proficiency. So you can think about languages as vocabulary, a combination of vocabulary and grammar, pronunciation, uh, understanding sounds, and being able to uh, have skills that come with that, like speaking, writing, reading, listening, and be able to do that at different levels of proficiency from beginner to advanced. And then we've systematically basically thought about that matrix uh, of skills and levels of proficiency and targeted um, each of those cells and just got better and better at all those things. Um, and that has made a tremendous difference uh, when, in how well we teach, where I think Duolingo is very known just as a way to get started with a language. And over time, uh, we have more and more people say, Wait, you can go a lot more, you can go a lot further with your language in Duolingo than, than people in the past thought of or realized. And, and so as we kind of chart into the future, is it, it sounds really like that ramp up from, from beginner moderate into really high level proficiency is the aspiration for where the product's going? Yeah, that's a big part of it. Um, we want you to be able to pick up Duolingo and Get, get all the way to proficiency, uh, to full proficiency, where you can go to a country and study there or work there, travel there, and just feel like you're fully prepared just using Duolingo. We're like maybe three quarters of the way there. Maybe I'm, a little, maybe I'm being a little bit generous on myself, but we're getting close. All right. So, so in terms of where the product falls, as we think more from like a business standpoint, um, this is very much in the category of like a consumer facing app, individuals download it, they kind of have their own personal goal and that's where the interaction lies. 
but we, we started this off talking about the economic opportunities and the, you know, the, the potential I would imagine for things more aligned at a, at a kind of enterprise or B2B type of level. Is that, um, how does that come into the consideration for Duolingo? Where does that kind of fit into the whole product framework? It's a great question. And I'll answer in a, sorry, to run about way a little bit, but we have another product called the Duolingo English test. And this is a computer adaptive, uh, fully online, um, AI proctored and human proctored to test that you can take and it measures your English proficiency. And that is accepted as, as a sign of language proficiency in over 3000 uh, universities and colleges. So it's become a significant part of our business now. It grew in the thousands of percents during the pandemic, uh, which was pretty cool because our competitors, you had to go to a testing center and you had to sign and all was shut down. It just became basically the only way you could demonstrate your English proficiency in the whole world for for a few weeks. Uh, So we believe that how does this connect to your your question for people who need to learn English? Uh, they need to also be able to demonstrate, certify that they know English. That needs to be in their resume. That needs to be uh, when they talk to employers or potential employers, right? So the Duolingo English test plays a big part on that economic opportunity uh, angle. And what we're trying to do is what we call closing the loop, basically teaching well enough on the Duolingo app you can, that you can take the Duolingo English test and do very well on it. And we're basically getting to that point. Gotcha. The Going Deep podcast is underwritten by Piper Creative. Shooting, editing, and publishing quality content is overwhelming. We make it easy so you can save time, build your brand, and grow faster. Say hello at pipercreative.co. So I want to now kind of hone in on this role that you find yourself in because, um, you know, feedback that I've heard from, from listeners of the show is, man, I love, you know, understanding what it takes to be uh, the founder of a, a office furniture wholesaler or a tech startup or what have you to be chief product officer. I, I, I keep saying the number because to me, this is just like almost like anxiety inducing when I think of the scale of it, but to be teaching languages to tens, hundreds of millions of people is an immense responsibility and a, a really kind of, I'd imagine fantastically intellectually stimulating role in which to be. So I, I'd like to unpack a little bit and, and you can, you can start wherever, you know, makes sense to you. But to me, you know, you have this background, you worked at Zynga, uh, which was a, a, a digital game uh, company, My Fitness Pal. I've used that to track a few runs um, back when I was more into running. I, I've, I haven't had the consistent habit like you, you're aspiring to with Duolingo. Um, but, and that's more a me thing than the product thing. But uh, can you talk a little bit about these past experiences and, you know, if, if chief product officer was the goal, like how did, how did it, this come together to make you capable of filling this seat? Yeah. So definitely chief product officer was not the goal. And I was actually surprised when Luis said, Hey, I think I want to promote you to chief product officer. I was like, really? <laughs> uh, same thing happened with VP of product. I was like, what you want to do this? So the, but to get to your original question of um, how, how did I get here? It was just so many different things in life that build up to this. And, and I think just great coincidences in a way, you know, I, I can go as back as like, you know, high school, I was learning English. I didn't grow up speaking English and I was lucky enough to go to a school that did a pretty good job teaching English and came to the U S 
and realized I didn't understand. I could understand actually pretty well, but I couldn't really say much. And so I had that experience as an adult uh, of really being able to empathize with people who are learning a language and how hard it is. And all the things that kind of catch you by surprise, like, you know, I, for years, I could not understand the difference between uh, a bag and a bug. Uh, it was just like, <laughs> to me, it was the same word. It was like people were just making fun of me. And um, so anyways, you could empath- I could empathize a lot with that experience. And um, then I, I, after I graduated from college, I ended up working in nonprofit uh, in the education sector, eventually leading an education program and coming up with curriculum and uh, mentoring programs and just really diving into how people learn. Uh, then went to grad school, discovered this thing called product management. Also, I, I did a master's in decision science. So I've always been curious about how people think and how people make decisions and how you can influence people's decision-making for their own good. Uh, and so I studied kind of public policy and decision-making together. And but I got into product management somehow, um, this company Zynga that makes video games, I thought it was like, oh, what an interesting laboratory of how people make decisions. So I went to work there, really enjoyed the aspect of making games and how collaborative and creative it could be and how cross-functional, right? We had a team of like, I remember for one feature, it was probably like 10, 12 people and everyone did something different. Uh, there was no, no two of the same. And you know you have artists and illustrators and animators and engineers and uh, game designers. Um, and it was just so fun. And then at some point, I remember people, they brought to the office some of our most valued users, uh, which were people who had spent probably like over 50,000 to $100,000 on this game. Um, wow. And I was like, to be able to spend that much money on a free-to-play game, this has to be consuming the entire lives. And I felt really terrible about it. I felt like, oh, I can't, I don't know that I can be part of this and, and feel good about it. As fun as, as much fun as I was having making games, just seeing the impact that a very addictive thing could have on someone just didn't feel right. It wasn't what I wanted to be doing with my life. So soon after that, I, I quit and I went to work at my fitness pal, which you mentioned. And that was, again, trying to use behavior change and, and, um, and decision science to make people have habits. But I wanted to make sure these were habits that were good for them. Uh, so that's how I got uh, in, into that job and uh, enjoyed it. I felt like I learned a lot there. Then, you know, eventually moved, worked at a different company. I help build a, a PM function at that other company. And then Duolingo reached out, uh, out of the blue. And my mom was using Duolingo at the time to learn English. I was like, sure, let's chat. And it was like, I came here to Pittsburgh. I, I really like the city, uh, you know, coming through from the tunnel uh, from the airport into the, into Pittsburgh at night. And she's like the lights. It's like, wow, this is like really cool. Um, and the people are super nice. Um, you know, it made me think a lot of um, just a East Coast city uh, in terms of the things that are available culturally. But the niceness and kindness of the people is very kind of Midwestern. And, um, and it was like just a perfect combination. So, yeah, I 
I like the city and I also felt like you brought everything together, right? The, the language learning experience, the education experience that I had, uh, the gaming experience, the experience building a, a PM function, product management function, everything into one. Uh, so a lot of the things uh, when I joined Duolingo came really intuitively. I just understood uh, a lot of the things that people were talking about because I had lived them myself. And I think that has really helped being able to have impact at, at the company. And I would say, um, so I may be like rambling way too much. You can stop me at any time. Aaron. No, I mean, the way, the way you told that story, it, it reminds me a lot of the Steve Jobs Stanford commencement address when he talks about how you could have never planned it as you were moving forward, but looking in reverse, there's this very kind of obvious sequential interrelated amount of lily pads that kind of landed you at this, at this current lily pad. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that the, you know, it, 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 I'm thinking about so many different things. I'm thinking about habit building. I'm thinking about just like good design principles generally. And then I'm also really thinking about, you know, the, the, the human side of this, which is there's the human users that you, you kind of had this, uh, experience at Zynga seeing the, the effect um, on the humans in that regard. But then there's also the humans that work with you that work um, kind of on your respective teams and learning how to really get the most out of them because it's, it's very different than an, an entry-level product role where you're kind of got your little corner of responsibility and now overseeing everything, it's much more about how do I coach? How do I incentivize? How do I recruit so that these product goals that I'm responsible for basically get fulfilled by the, the team members. They're, they're doing most of the heavy lifting. So tell me a little bit about that. Tell me about the development as, uh, as a leader and kind of how you've added that realm of skills. Then how I help others become leaders, how I grew as a leader or... I mean, I would say your growth as a leader is your ability to help other, other people become leaders and, and then take that responsibility on. Yeah, absolutely. That's a good point. Um, so I, I think to be a good leader, you got to be authentic to who you are. And for me, I'm someone who is very reserved and introverted. Um, someone who thinks a lot about uh, feelings and, and also very driven and ambitious, uh, which is, I think, like a weird combination that throws people off a bit. So I, my approach to leadership is to basically understand what makes what why people are what makes people tick right why are they here you know what what they're showing up to work to get what and help them get that whatever that is uh some people they and 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 i do that because i care about them and i just don't judge what it is they're, they're here for it's like whatever it is that matters to them i help them get there uh because you know i care about them um and i think that that makes people keep showing up at work and keep doing their best, their best work. And that requires listening with empathy. It requires not judging. It requires um, honestly trying to help. So that's kind of my, my approach. Also, I think it requires taking care of their feelings, right? Like when, when you got to say something hard, you got to make people change their mindset or something some managers be like, hey, you know, you got to change. This is not, you're not getting what you want. Like deal with it. But I was like, well, what can I, I don't go and do that. I just take some time and think, how can we turn this into a win-win situation, right? Uh, 
And if it's like, hey, you're not maybe you're not getting the thing that you want it, the win that you want it, but can we create another win that can um, help you grow in, in other ways that you also want it to grow? So that that's one part, right? And then the other part now is helping uh, managers be able to do that for the people that they are managing and encouraging them to um, really get to know the the reports and listen to them and to understand. Uh, not just how they feel, uh, but why they feel the way they do. How are they seeing the world that the facts are being interpreted in a way that generates the feeling that they're having and help them understand where in that needs to be worked on. Or like, well, maybe we need to change the facts. Maybe we need to change the way the facts are being interpreted with, with new facts that they're not aware of. Maybe we need to help them understand that the feelings they're having are, are reasonable, but there's other feelings that could be reasonable to have as, as well, right? and focus on the thing that makes you happy, right? And, 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 and grow from there. So anyways, that, that's like a bit of a rambling answer. I apologize, Aaron, but happy to dig into any of those things more, more deeply if that would be helpful. Yeah, but it, it really, you know, what I'm hearing again is one of your metrics for the app is retention, right? And part of retention is, is predicated on being deeply, deeply empathetic to the user. If you understand what they're actually looking for and you're able to give it to them, then that's going to keep them coming back because you're delivering the goods. And it's the same idea where, you know, the, the empathy for those team members, and that's a, that's a huge topic of conversation. I feel like it's been that topic of conversation for a decade now, but it's like people are job hopping, people are, you know, going from, from thing to thing. And one of the biggest advantages or levers or kind of points of opportunity for a company is the ability to recruit and then retain great talent Yep. is part of how you beat your, your, your competition is we are a team with chemistry that have been thinking about this problem for three, four, five, six years, as opposed to six months, 12 months, 18 months, it's just going to lead to the better decision-making. And, you know, it's, it's the same, th those two things are, are obviously interrelated, but it requires the same kind of core skill set of empathy. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, I'll tell you something that I've learned at Duolingo in terms of that. The, and I, I, had, I never really grasped this before working here and it's my imperfections generate some sort of like uh, pain or discomfort or problems for other people. And then having empathy for the pain I generate on them uh, <laughs> and being <laughs> humble about that, uh, it's something that I've, I've, I've been learning uh, and it's been very transformational for me to like just lean in into that uncomfortable situation. It's like, oh, I am the cause of your pain. I'm the cause of your discomfort and listening to change. Um, and that's been something really great about working at Duolingo where I felt like they, Luis has had patience with me uh, as I work through the things that I need to work on. Um, and I realized that um, at some point I might have felt like embarrassed or, or wanting to hide those things, but actually that doesn't help. Like the more open and transparent you can be about the things you're working on, uh, that the better others feel about sharing what they're working on, uh, the more they feel they can share. It. And also um, they can have more patience with you because they know you're, at least you're working on it, right? Um, and, and that really helps uh, keep a team together. Beautiful. Um, 
I have one more line of questioning and then we can kind of aim towards, towards wrapping up here. Um, and, and that's the idea of constraints. We've been, we've explored this in so many different ways, you know, a, a, a nascent startup, they've got every constraint in the book, but you know, all the way up to, to people making geopolitical decisions, there's always some sort of constraint that's in place for a company like Duolingo and more specifically for someone in the role that you are as chief product officer, your team, like you said, has grown 10 X. Um, since you've joined the team, I don't know the exact number, but you've as a company have raised tens of millions of dollars. Um, how would you list or prioritize or explain the constraints that are facing you um, in, in the present as a company that has, you know, more funding than 99% of, of startups out there? And, um, you know, these kind of other obvious resources that unlock some constraints, what are the constraints that face the org and maybe you as the chief product officer generally? Hmm. Great question. So, the major constraint almost in a way is like what your mission, right? Like the, what, who you're trying to be and we're trying to do, uh, you could think of it as uh, a constraint as well. It's like you're, that tells you lots of things you cannot do because you don't want to do them because they're against who you want to be and what you want to achieve. The next step there, I think is we're constrained by the amount of information that we have. Uh, and that's something that, I've been very proactively trying to work on at Duolingo by building new functions like data science and UX research because, uh, and really being an advocate for like our learning science team as well. Because the more information we have, I, if it really, at the beginning, it really felt constrained by, like, we don't know a lot. We need to learn more faster. Um, so information, I think it's, is key um, and making sense of that into frameworks, into strategies, into plans, et cetera. Uh, so processing that information too. Um, the next big constraint is people, right? Um, getting the, the right talent on the right seats uh, at the right time is obviously extremely challenging. And there's lots of things that we, we would want to do more of, but maybe we can't because we haven't found the right person for it, right? So hiring is, is key. Um, and... I think, I think that's it. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, the, the kind of, one of the lessons of life that I've, I've absolutely come to realize is everyone has the constraints. There is no kind of boundless entity God that, that that's walking through the world with some, in some way or shape or form unconstrained, maybe Bezos, maybe one day I'll get to ask Bezos what his constraints are, uh, the planet earth perhaps with the blue origin rocket or whatever. But, um, yeah, it, it, it's an interesting kind of thing to, to reflect on. And, um, I, I, I'm guessing that you won't make any sort of comment on this whatsoever, but I, I do um, suspect that there is a, a kind of next chapter for Duolingo as a company generally hitting the public markets at some point in the future, um, that I know that the, the folks in Pittsburgh are very excited for, um, and, and what that will mean as, as, as for the city of Pittsburgh, for the company Duolingo, for all the uh, constraints that you guys continue to face and hopefully unlocking some of those. Sure. I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> Um, cool. Well, Jorge, before we ask our standard last two questions, is there anything else you were hoping to share today that I just didn't give you the chance to? We're hiring. <laughs> yes. Duolingo is always hiring. So uh, check out our, our, our job post on our website. 
Right on. Well, that's the next question. Digital coordinates where people can connect, learn more, follow along with what you're doing. Obviously, uh, download the app and, and start learning another language if you aren't already doing so. But what other coordinates can we point people towards? Yeah, uh, I would say download the app and find me and follow me. Uh, I'm Jorge Masal on the Duolingo app. You can find me there. Right on. We're going to link that in the show notes. I'm actually not quite sure how to link that. Usually I'm like, oh, it's just a LinkedIn profile or something, but I'm going to, I'm going to yeah, try to figure out how to, LinkedIn. <laughs> I'm going to try to figure out how to do that with the, uh, the, the Duolingo profile, if I can make an external link or not, but um, that's all going to be linked going deep slash podcast for every single episode of the show or in the app where you're probably listening to this right now. But before I let you go, Jorge, I want to give you the mic one final time to issue an actionable personal challenge to the audience. Hmm. So I had a, a wonderful experience uh, last week where I really took like a significant amount of time to help someone with something they, they really needed. Um, and it was, um, it was great. It just felt so good, especially after being isolated for so long in the pandemic to do something that um, was just helping someone feel better. Uh, and the challenge that I would have for, for the audience is, can you block three hours, half a day to do something that will make someone else feel really good uh, without having any um, expectation of, of return? Um, and just getting that perspective again, that we're all in this planet together. Um, service is what makes us uh, human. And, and what makes you feel best at the end of the day. So that's my challenge. Yeah. Have you ever, have you ever heard of the book, the, the five love languages? I have. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So acts of service, I'll, I'll go to the grave saying it's the most underrated one in terms of being able to convey uh, love. It, you know, not, not that there's anything wrong with gifting or words of affirmation or any of those other ones, but it, it definitely takes, uh, I, I would argue, more of a lift than, than some of the other stuff. And so uh, I, I absolutely love that challenge. And I hope that a bunch of people will take it. Right. Well, thank you so much for uh, coming on the podcast, Ray. I, I really, I learned a ton and I am excited for the future of you and the company. Thank you, Aaron. Uh, it's been a pleasure. Anytime. Happy to come back anytime. Awesome. We just went deep with Jorge Mazal. Hope everyone out there has a fantastic day. Hey, thank you so much for listening to the end of my podcast with Jorge. If you enjoyed this, I would also encourage you to listen to our past episode with Jason Wolf. He not only talks about the development of tech products, but also the leadership required to find enormous commercial success. We've linked it in the show notes to this episode, and we've got a ton of other good ones. Feel free to reach out to me on Twitter at AaronWatson59 for a personal recommendation and hit that subscribe button so that you get a great new episode every single week. Thanks for listening. Connect with Aaron on Twitter and Instagram at AaronWatson59.